0: For the past few years, Tongariro National Park has been the site of a mysterious form of vandalism. In the very first episode of this podcast, we discussed plant theft, specifically the disappearance of the world's smallest water lily, Nymphaea thermerum. Today we're talking about almost the exact opposite situation. Someone has been repeatedly planting non-native carnivorous plants in Tongariro National Park. And it's not the first time this has happened at this particular site or in the history books. Tongariro National Park is the sixth-oldest national park in the whole world. It features both of New Zealand's types of native rainforests, along with scrubland and an active volcano. The indigenous Polynesian people of New Zealand, the Maori, have several religious sites in the park. The Vandal has been planting Pinguicula grandiflora, or spotted butterwort. This plant can overwhelm native New Zealand wetland species. I spoke to Allison Beeth, park ranger and part of the Department of Conservation at Tongariro National Park, about what she thinks is going on. She said that a botanist first spotted this invasive species in the park a few years ago. He reported it to a citizen science website, and so the park rangers were able to learn more about it. The butterwort vandal has acted repeatedly since
1: then. The first report was from a botanist. Not a plant that we were familiar with locally of course, so this botanist happened to be out walking in that particular area and fortunately spotted it for what it was. He put it to we have a citizen science website called Nature Watch, so some other people picked that up as well and then let us know locally. So that was in 2015, and then we realised that we had to get right on top of this quite quickly. But this water, water is super invasive, it's really tenacious little blood, and we've got quite vulnerable wetlands here with endangered orchids and dews and, and things. So if we left this unchecked, it could have really impacted on some of those fragile ecosystems.
0: The Tongariro Wetland Region is delicate. There's been a lot of problems with invasive weeds. I found a newspaper article from 1917 in the New Zealand Herald about how the government was employing prison labor to build a road to Tongariro National Park. The police commissioner, John Cohen, directed the incarcerated workers to plant heather in the wetlands, in addition to their road-building work. Once the heather was established, he intended to import grouse so that people could hunt there. But public outrage stopped anyone from actually introducing the birds in the park, according to the Tongariro website. Someone did put a couple grouse around the edge of the park, but they soon died in the harsh conditions. Unfortunately, the heather thrived and has become an ecological nightmare. When the park rangers pull it up, they dislodge all the native plants. Spraying the heather with pesticides also kills native plants. Lately, they've been trying carefully controlled releases of a Scottish heather beetle, They want to make sure it only eats the heather, and so far this biological control is working, but it won't ever totally solve the problem. Someone is clearly trying to establish a population of Butterwort, just like John Cullen irrevocably established a population of heather. Beeth has a few guesses about this vandal's motivations. First of all, Butterwort is pretty cute! The native New Zealand species are not the most glamorous plants out there. Bee suggests that someone went out of their way to liven up the neighborhood.
1: It's quite an attractive plant, actually. <laughs> it's got some really bright lime green leaves and a real purple flower, so it, it does look quite out of place in the wetlands around here. Our, our plants are a little bit more cryptic and they're not quite so brightly colored. I'm not sure that's one of the reasons that people are releasing it.
0: The person might think they're helping the spotted butterwort. It's not endangered. But some species of butterwort and other carnivorous plants are. There's an even darker potential motive to this crime. Because there's not a population of spotted butterwort in New Zealand, CITES, or the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, forbids anyone from selling it. But if there was an established population of spotted butterwort in New Zealand, even if it's not native, people would be able to sell it legally. So maybe a potential butterwort trader is trying to make a quick
1: buck. And the other ones are maybe the other reason's a little bit a little more sinister. it's around currently under the, the CITES, the Convention and Trade and Endangered Species Agreement, population of cannabis plants can't be sold in New Zealand. But if there was a wild population and that changes the, the rules, which means that you can actually trade in it. So if they do establish wild population, yeah, you can buy it and of trade in it. So, that what they're trying to
0: do as well. This is not the first time someone has planted a carnivorous plant species somewhere they don't belong. Carnivorous plants are inherently cool, often visually interesting, and they thrive in areas without a lot of soil nutrients, which is why they need the extra snack now and then. I spoke to Marcel van de Broek about the fascination that people have with carnivorous plants.
2: My name is Marcel van der Broek, and I'm at the moment the Facebook manager for the International Coniferous Plant Society, a society I served as a president for nine years.
0: Van der Broek had heard of the incident in Tangeriro National Park and was able to think of quite a few other instances of the same situation happening in other areas of the world. All right, so have you heard of this incident where butterwort is being planted in this New Zealand national park?
2: Yes, I've heard about it, Uh, and it's not the first time, and it's not the first coniferous plant.
0: And has this happened in other places around the world?
2: Yes, it's quite common. I mean, it happens everywhere. There was a very famous case in California where actually the same Capensis you have introduced in New Zealand actually was out competing the native sundews. There is a case of Venus flytrap, the one that actually closes when a fly comes in, which is the pump most people associate with coniferous plants. It occurs naturally in North Carolina. And actually, there was a rather large population in Florida, and people have been guessing since the 1970s how they got there. And actually, only recently, like two or three weeks ago, somebody actually confessed that he dumped a load of seed there.
0: Really?
2: yeah, in a national park. <laughs>
0: what is this man's name? I have to find him. I've not heard of this. After our call, Vanderbroek sent me a copy of the September 2019 issue of the Journal of the International Carnivorous Plant Society's newsletter. On page 135, there's an essay by Jim Miller about the mystery of the Florida population of Venus flytraps. I reached out to Miller to speak about this essay, but he never got back to me. A little background here. Venus flytraps are native to North Carolina. Somehow, in the 1970s, a population ended up in the Florida Panhandle. Miller writes about a couple popular theories of the strange flytrap migration. Maybe birds carry them? Maybe the flytraps had secretly been there all along, undiscovered by humans? Miller says he's learned the answer. And it's none of those. He posted a segment of the email he received from an anonymous source who claims responsibility for planting the Florida population of Venus flytraps back when he was a child. Thank you to John Agnew for reading this email from the anonymous source. He writes,
3: You do not know me, but I am a CP, Carnivorous Plants, grower as well. I read your Pinguicula article in CPN this month and saw that you were from Tallahassee. I was born and grew up there for about 30 years and know the area quite well. My mother worked for the U.S. Forest Service, and we often explored the Appalachia National Forest, where I discovered acres and acres of Saracenia. As a kid, I was taken by these plants, and now I am 79 years old and still love them. I am not a seller, but just collect them because I love them. I now have a rather extensive collection of around 6,000 plants, mostly two- and three-year-old seedlings, of Saracenia that I have bred. I have about 40 registered cultivars. I retired in 2001. Since then, I renewed my interest in carnivorous plants and now have 18 large outdoor beds where I grow Saracenia. In 1973 or 1974, I had collected quite a few venus flytrap seeds and returned to Tallahassee to visit my mother. I drove out to areas near Hosford and threw out my seeds in three different locations, then forgot all about them. About 30 years later, I heard there were some flytrap colonies in that area and people were wondering how they got there. I don't know if mine survived, but I suspect some did. I met a grower friend here in North Carolina who had gotten some fly traps from a friend in California who had gotten them from the Hosford bog. He gave me some of those plants, so now maybe I have some of my plants from that original planting decades ago.
0: Miller said he corroborated the story with a few other local carnivorous plant enthusiasts and exchanged a few emails with the culprit. Since Miller did not respond to my emails, that's where my reporting ends. We can't know for sure if this man's childhood antics led to a few new Venus flytrap populations. But if you're an editor with a discretionary travel budget who wants to send me to Florida to investigate, please email me. The consequences of rogue native plants are different in different parts of the world. They might spread plant diseases or pests. They might interbreed with native species causing hybrids. Some, of course, can outcompete the locals altogether.
2: Well... Of course, you're looking at when you have an invasive, it actually pushes out the species that belong there. So that would actually mean that those species will be gone. But that's just if you look at the species which are aggressive invaders, but there are more problems with introducing plants in a place where they don't belong. For instance, if they were to crossbreed with Uh, species. If you introduce a sundew, which can actually crossbreed with a native sundew, then you would have a mixed population, which would be also genetic and scientifically not a good thing. Other things that could happen when you place the seeds or the plants into the wild, what kinds of pests or diseases might you introduce? I mean, a very big problem in, for instance, Australia is Fusarium, which is a a fungal disease. Well, it's quite common in many collections. So if something like that would get out, then you will have a big problem. Food crops, um, other native species, they would all suffer if such a disease would get out. So those are a couple of issues. and. Basically, there are, of course, more issues, and you can't tell what's going to happen. If a specific species is very good in catching a specific kind of insect, you might wipe out the pollinator of a species. Um, There are so many unintended consequences which could happen. So we always say just don't do it. It's much better to work with the local species. You have some lovely species in New Zealand. They're pretty easy to grow in home conditions. They're pretty well available in commercial trade. So there is absolutely no reason to put out exotics.
0: Like Vanderbroek says, when we release a random plant or animal into the wild, we never know what's going to happen. Most likely, it will die from exposure to a place it's not used to. But there's always a chance it will thrive and cause huge problems. There are tons of bizarre stories about plants and animals that are just taking over right now. Feral pigs in Texas, kudzu in the southeastern U.S., pythons in Florida, goats in the Galapagos. Beeth and her team are doing everything they can to make sure the spotted butterwort doesn't become one of those horror stories. Luckily, there's lots of ways to enjoy carnivorous plants responsibly. And how can people enjoy carnivorous plants responsibly? You
2: you, uh, you
0: noted that people can cultivate their, the native species in their area. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, apart from the botanical gardens, which have generally nice collections of these plants because they're very appealing to especially children, um, there are, of course, couple of nurseries you can buy them you can buy seeds legally on the internet you can grow them in your windowsills there are a couple of very good websites that actually show you how to do that and how you can do that and make sure they don't escape Um, there are several actually I know a lot of people who are actually growing coniferous plants in uh, New Zealand and they have quite wide collections from all over the world but they're not Leaving the house
0: thank you for my first listeners for this episode elena lacy and nikki duong thank you also to nikki for the plant crimes art thank you to everyone who's written reviews i appreciate them and they help people find me thanks for listening